Hello, everybody. This is Two Guys Five Movies. This is one of your co-hosts, Chris Gasper. This is Frank Pelican. Tonight, you're listening to episode 140, and we are covering the top five disturbing movies. This was this came about through a email exchange with a new listener um, in the past couple months, uh, Chris Heil, and I told Frank about the suggestion, and you uh, wanted to do it sooner rather than later so we rearranged some stuff in march and um here we are does seem like this would have been probably inevitable at some point i guess something along these lines yeah um maybe not quite so broad i think we probably would have done it like a little um i don't know probably i probably would have like been more specific in the topic but um I thought it was a good list to make, and I was pretty, uh, pretty inspired when you said when you read me um, Chris's email. So yeah. Um. So yeah. Plus, any anytime we get a listener suggestion, like I feel like, yeah, it's good for us just to do it. Absolutely. Uh. So yeah. Uh. Interesting set of movies here, and I feel like some movies we've talked about already throughout the years probably would have made this list had you know had had this come about sooner so it's like i i had a couple in my mind that i was going to ask you i know you have your own short list but would um would henry have made this list henry yeah. Torture, serial killer? Yeah. yeah henry is like the number one movie on this list for yeah. all of eternity basically i was trying to think of things i would like on my like my own list would have put on i and even though i've only seen the past few years since you had me watch it for the podcast uh bone tomahawk would probably go on there for like the last Mm. 30 minutes that that movie really bothered me yeah um in those last like 30 minutes with some of the graphic imagery there um yeah that's interesting um that wouldn't that wasn't one of the ones that i thought of like i definitely thought of henry because i always think of henry but yeah um, not Boone Tomahawk, but yeah, I mean, I I can see that. Yeah, I think I think with that 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 one specific scene in in Boone Tomahawk, it comes down to the fact that it's like I've just like you, I've seen a lot, and I can so I have a I have an imagination where I can imagine a lot of awful things, and I think it took me by surprise that one specific scene because I could never imagine it, hmm. and. <clears throat> Um, it never cro- has never crossed my mind, like in the depravity of like my own mind of the things I can possibly imagine. But um, so, what ended up making your short list for this? So, my the first thing I thought of, honestly, like this is the first movie on my short list um, is Eraserhead, mm-hmm. um, because I definitely feel like there's some things in that movie that make me just uncomfortable in their griminess i guess um and you know like lynch has just such a i don't know he's the master making you uncomfortable with things that maybe might not ostensibly feel like they're uncomfortable but like he definitely can get you in here especially in like you know his earliest um earliest you know his first film like he's really like pulling out all the stops i think in terms of just like being as grotesque as possible in a lot of ways like them eating meat at the ta- the meat eating at the table like the chicken or whatever it is and yeah 
<clears throat> and there's all kinds of little scenes in that movie that just you know i think stay with you afterwards but i don't know where i feel like Eraserhead would fall like what list because i would like to put it on a list someday but um have we talked about Eraserhead before no we have not um it's it's coming up later this year oh right 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 yeah so that's the reason why i didn't make it then yeah i guess i knew there was something like specifically <laughs> mm-hmm. um but yeah i mean so Eraserhead. um i thought about antichrist uh the Lars von Trier movie. Um, but I don't know if I'm ready to watch that movie again. So I didn't really want to. Is that the Willem Dafoe one? Yeah. 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 Never, I've only seen a few scenes from that. Um, it's just too much for me. I, I, I don't think I can do it. Um, it also, so, okay. So let's, let's first of all, talk about what I define as a disturbing movie. Sure. I think a disturbing movie is something where, either themes or characters in the movie um stay with you in an uncomfortable or like negative way um and not necessarily grotesque and i think that's i think the loss of the child in antichrist is really disturbing and i think like the disintegration of their relationship is disturbing but i think the things that kind of stick with you are more grotesqueries than they are um disturbing does that make sense mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh so yeah. and again like it's not something that i want to watch like i you know i don't want to sit down and see it mm-hmm. um the same is true and i actually when i was making this list i watched this next movie because i thought about putting it on there but again it's not something that I really want to talk about which is Martyrs uh, from I think 2008 um, and it was remade 2013 or 15 or something um, an American version but that version's awful but um, the French version the original is super disturbing uh, but also just really intensely grotesque and almost like aggressively anti-viewer in a lot of ways but it also has some really i don't know like deeply disturbing ideas in it sort of um and i think it would have been a fitting fitting addition to this list but i i also think there's some there's some list at some point that i haven't quite thought of what it is yet that is that's it's going to have martyrs on it so i kind of want to save that a little bit um couple of 70s horror movies uh last house on the left and i spit on your grave um two movies again like i don't necessarily really want to talk about but they're definitely ones that like the elements of them stick with you but i just don't know like when we talk about them i don't know if either of those are on the 70s list if i put either one on there but i think it's possible last house on the left is but i don't know for sure i can't remember that's one where now, we, we slightly disagree. You you dislike it more than I do, I think, actually, right? I, I can't stand it. Yeah. Um I I don't want to go into it too much, but to me there's elements of it that I think are more deplorable than they are disturbing. Like I, I don't know. It's it's hard to explain like why I, I really dislike that movie. And it also might be because it's a 
to me it's a um a pale imitator of virgin spring Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. it just goes for shock over it definitely does there there is some i always contend there's some artistry to it despite how despite someone agreeing with what you're saying um and then the final one that i thought about which was on the list until i just decided i didn't want to talk about it is cannibal holocaust um a movie that i would have told you i don't know 20 22 23 years ago was one of my favorite movies of all time um that i've kind of fallen out of it's kind of fallen out of favor with me um i think mostly because of the the really unnecessary animal torture that happens in the movie mm-hmm. um i think it's still a really important movie and i think we need to talk about it at some point i just i didn't necessarily want to have it on this list because to me it's less disturbing and more shocking if that makes sense like i think it's like an assault on your senses rather than something that sticks with you as being um like disturbing to your psyche if that like if you yeah it's it's images stick with you certainly i think out of it like it gets stuck in your mind i don't know if it's necessarily disturbing it's more the grotesque you were talking about i think yeah um i still think i mean i like you said it's an important movie i i i think more of it as a philosophical movie really like than anything else like even though it's well known for its grotesque imagery and all that kind of stuff i i think i think there's a lot of merit to the points it's making during that time period even if it's a little hackney now maybe but uh there was another one i just thought of would the i can't remember the name of it you'll have to remind me even though i like it a lot the french film with the guy in the town with all men oh calvary calvary yeah 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 yeah, yeah that would have I don't know why I didn't put well mostly because we've already talked about it yeah yeah. um yeah I think that's very like deeply disturbing especially the first time you see it if you Mm -hmm. go in with kind of no preconceived notions of what to expect um I think it can be really disturbing uh and it definitely is also shocking um yeah but yeah philosophically the idea just really the idea of anybody who's trapped in a situation where they're kind of being um tortured or held against their will is disturbing to me mm-hmm. um i that's just a personal thing i think where i i truly feel like that's i don't know like one of the worst things that can happen to you and it's funny because the tagline for calvary is what's the worst that could happen <laughs> that's um on the original like i think it's belgian actually maybe it's french um but yeah that's 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 a good choice yeah. yeah that's one that like kind of bothered me the first time like i when you told me to watch it all those years ago um still bothered me when i rewatched it a couple of years ago for the podcast but <clears throat> yeah yeah that's all i could come up with like i uh, but yeah um i i'm trying to think i guess i've seen half of those that you just talked about on your short list i had actually only seen <laughs> none i had seen none of these movies so these were all completely fresh to me i had not seen a single one 
it's really surprising to me um especially the number five movie on the list that you had never seen it like mm-hmm. i've I don't know. I would have guessed you definitely would have seen that. I might have seen some scenes at some point when I was a kid, but that's about it. <clears throat> um, so, all right. So uh, let's get into this then. Uh, number five on your list is 1985's Return to Oz. It is directed by Walter Merck. Stars Fruza Balk, Gene Marsh, Nicole Williamson, Piper Laurie, Matt Clark, and Michael Sundin. Has a 54% from critics on Rotten Tomatoes and a 71% from audiences. Uh, you want to tell us a little bit about this uh, and uh, why you put it on the list? So this is what we would normally call my nostalgia pick right. um, of the list. But I still think that there's, like as an adult, I still think that you can find some, I, I mean, I still think it's a really good movie. Uh, so this is the pseudo sequel to the wizard of oz um but taking place with obviously completely different characters because it was filmed whatever 40 years after or 50 years after i guess wizard of oz um dorothy is home after being returned from oz by the ruby slippers uh and auntie m and uncle shit i can't remember the uncle's name um don't believe her tales of being in the land of Oz and they basically think that she's insane. <clears throat> so uh, the aunt has an ad in a local from a local paper about um, a doctor that's in a nearby town who can cure like mental illness, basically. Um, and the doctor is using electroshock therapy to do that. And it's set in, I guess like what they say just a few years before the turn of the century right so in like the early days of electricity it is yeah mm-hmm. um so m takes uh dorothy to this hospital uh where the doctor tries to like kind of you know calm her fears by sort of showing oh look the electroshock therapy machine looks like a looks like a face like isn't that cute um then there's a evil nurse that's, you know, they, they once Auntie M leaves, um, they take her in for the EST. And then there's another young girl that's there that kind of like tries to help her. Um, and then lightning strikes the building and all the power goes out and they escape. They end up getting washed away down the river and Dorothy wakes up uh, back in Oz. So it's a completely different Oz from the Technicolor um world of the original movie uh it's destroyed basically like everything's in ruins um dorothy kind of goes goes to the emerald city and um meets tiktok who's this tin wind up tin man um meets this pumpkin headed like scarecrow-esque um character and then sort of assembles this thing called the gump which is a um tree head or a, a tree head of like a moose head that's attached to a couch with um peacock feathers for wings um she meets mombi who's the evil queen that's kind of taken over the emerald city uh mombi is maybe one of the more unsettling things from my childhood especially like from a non-horror movie in the sense that she's um this witch that steals the heads of women 
and wears like in wears them interchangeably like switches at her heads depending on her moods or how she wants to appear um so mombi tries to kidnap dorothy dorothy and her friends escape from mombi <coughs> and end up going to the lair of the gnome king who's turns out is the guy that stole the ruby slippers that dorothy dropped when uh when she returned to oz and he used the power of the ruby slippers to turn everyone in oz to stone and kind of usurp the power of of oz and become its ruler um so they eventually defeat the gnome king by um her chicken dropping an egg in his mouth which is poison to gnomes um and then she uses the ruby slippers to restore oz to its former glory ends up returning home um to annie m fuck what is it uh, uncle what auntie m and uncle i can't remember it's uncle henry uncle henry thank you um and still has a connection to oz like they still exist in her heart and so it's weird that this it like reading it on wikipedia they classify it as a dark fantasy movie this is a movie that was 100 percent geared like towards children like that's who was supposed to watch this movie and i would imagine if you have any of the negative reviews from critics written down that's probably the biggest complaint is that it's really not a children's movie i mean it's there's obviously nothing i don't know like gory or graphic but there's some pretty disturbing things and i guess that's the point of this podcast that's what we'll talk about yeah the, that's the number one thing that critics on a whole did not like was the darkness of the entire thing for something that was supposedly marketed towards children yeah, yeah. you're exactly and it's, right it's it's incredibly dark so just from the very beginning you have this child and i saw this movie 85 so i probably saw this in 86 or 87 when it came out on video um which meant that i would have been 10 maybe when i saw this movie maybe a little younger so you've got a kid that's like roughly my age that i'm watching in this movie who's being taken against her will to this place where she's left by her guardian to these people who have definitely ill intentions towards her um because there's people that they've failed these experiments on that they're keeping locked in the basement that you hear like the whatever um disembodied screams of like in the you know when she's first there at night they chain her down they're giving her this electroshock therapy which seems awful um and then when she finally escapes to this world that was like the place that she loved the yellow brick road is shattered everything's like overgrown the emerald city is in pieces there's these things called the wheelers which are people that have these helmets on that when they bend over it makes them almost like um tragedy faces from you know like the greek uh what do you call it like greek theater um they cackle and make like these i don't know like horrifying like noises and they're almost like spider-like in the way that they move and everybody in the city has been turned to stone which is i don't know why but that's something that really bothers me um is people being turned to stone hmm. like about especially as a kid and i have no like reason for that but 
it had like bothered me in Clash of the Titans, like the idea of um you know the Gorgon turning people to stone and and then there's headless statues, which is like creepy. And then they get to Mombi, and you know, this woman like takes off her head and has all these severed heads and glass cases that are you know glaring at Dorothy and I don't know. There's just so many things in this movie that the way they're done, and honestly, maybe the most disturbing thing to me is the way they film the Gnome King at the end, um, where part of it is a person in makeup and part of it is uh, claymation effects, and they interchange between the two things. So sometimes there's this very human face, like caked in this thick, like stone-like makeup with these like super expressive eyes you know like staring out at you and sometimes it's contorted and twisted by the claymation of it and and honestly like more so i think even than the wizard of oz it's very much life and death in terms of you know if dorothy fails then she's going to be trapped there forever as a prisoner of the gnome king as like an ornament in his personal gallery so there's just a lot of elements to it where in a lot of children's movies like and maybe this is one of the benefits to when we grew up is that there's like real stakes to things in the movies does that make sense like mm-hmm. there's actual stakes to dorothy's like success or failure and she's still just a little kid so i don't know um we had a lot of movies that I think were pretty dark when we were young. Um, even movies that are more lighthearted have like darker undertones. Like we talked about this when we watched Goonies with Bledsoe in the sense that, you know, I mean, there's the Fratellis want to kill the Goonies. Like they're trying to kill these children and that's right. pretty disturbing. And then stuff like Monster Squad, you know, which you think about being like kind of just a fun movie, but those monsters want to kill those kids. I mean, that's their intent is to murder them. So those movies strike a good balance, though, in terms of making it lighthearted enough at times to hide the darkness, though. This doesn't try to hide shit. No, no, this is 100 percent. I mean, the the fact that the Emerald City is in ruins with graffiti and mm-hmm. like everything's broken and destroyed. I mean, it really feels like empty and kind of hopeless and <clears throat> I think it's a movie that was way ahead of its time um, in terms of the way that it presented itself and the story that it was telling to children. Um, but it's really more in line with what, you know, Baum's original Oz stories were like because they were, I mean, even though they were written for children, they were really like more in line with the weird fantasy of stuff like Lovecraft and whatever. And even when you look at stuff like Carol, you know, um, Alice in Wonderland. I mean, the original like book of whatever through the looking glass or whatever the first one's called, like has some pretty like disturbing images in it, you know, and like it's they're they're not necessarily books that we would consider being books for children today. And um I think that's why I, I liked Return to Oz so much as a kid and why it stuck with me, because I was always sort of into like the darker elements of things. Like I always loved horror and reading, you know like ghost stories and the folklore stories or whatever from what were this time life books called like the mysterious world or whatever yeah yeah, yeah. um i, I still I love those things they're called but i remember what you're talking about yeah like time life 
ghosts and haunted places and I don't know, whatever. Um, so yeah, so I just, um, I think that's why I loved Return to Oz as a kid. Um, I still find Return to Oz to be a really effective um, and enjoyable movie. Um, I was still kind of taken aback as a 45-year-old man um, as to how dark the movie was in general. So, yeah, I don't know. That's it. Yeah, um, I can see where the, I, I, I was... I wasn't taken aback or I was surprised by how dark this was um, having never seen it before. Uh, like I said, I might've seen a couple scenes from it at some point, but I had never seen this movie before and it's, it's really not my thing. Um, overall, like, you know, historically speaking, like I'm not the biggest fantasy fan in the world. I like this better than I liked I mean, look, Wizard of Oz, I understand, is iconic, and there's a lot of things that, like, developed out of Wizard of Oz, but, like, I don't ever want to watch Wizard of Oz, like, ever again in my life, Um, and I find this dark version of Oz much more fascinating than I do, like, that original version, Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I can see where this is disturbing as a kid, like, with, with the darkness and, especially the the one character you were talking about um which this is my problem with fantasy is i don't even pay attention to their names most of the time is it is it is it mumby 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 um but uh yeah i can definitely see like that stuff and even like the human element of it is extremely dark and i yeah i'm really surprised like hearing that they marketed this towards children because this seems like it could be the stuff of nightmares if you're like young enough and but yeah it was interesting to me i i I thought from an artifact standpoint it was really interesting um some some of the visuals i thought was really interesting i i thought it was like um really well edited together like it's it's a weird thing that i never really talk about but like there's certain sequences that I that I watch and I was like that's that's a really good job of like editing something that is like fairly complex right there um in 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 this world of like making you understand like how things work and stuff like that um so yeah there's there's a lot of positives of this movie I was interested in it wasn't really like intrigued or excited to buy it when I was watching it but um, I can certainly understand. I think if I was younger, I and or had that history with it, that it, yeah, it's a, it's a, I can see being more into it probably. But yeah, I don't know how I didn't watch it. I have no idea. I didn't watch a lot of Disney stuff. Like I watched cartoons around this time. Maybe it's a little. I was a little too young for it. That's possible. Because this was eighty-five, right? Yeah yeah i mean i could have just missed it by a couple like two or three years like it's one of those things it's also it's funny because like you find people that enjoy this movie or know this movie but just as many times you find people that have never seen this movie Mm -hmm. so um i think that was part of it is that it was i think it gained kind of notoriety for being one of those movies that like this is going to scare the shit out of your kids and so they're probably in your age group were more people that would have just been like, yeah, I'm not going to rent that for them. Mm-hmm. Um, 
because I think I think Bledsoe knows this movie, right? I think so. I'm not sure. It's one of those things that if like he talked about it, I, I probably wouldn't have like given it much attention because I didn't know it, which was really self-involved and egotistical. But I probably would have just, you know, I I and I don't know if it's that or if it's like the uh the like if I get him confused with like the Alice video game or something. Like again, this is like my like shit with like fantasy and children's tales and stuff like that is like it just half of the information stays in my head so i'm not sure he might um i know the dark crystal was a big thing of his when he was young but dark crystal also has some disturbing elements to it mm-hmm. for a child but it also is much more distinctly fantasy based because everything's a puppet which sure. makes things i think a little easier to take yeah i like the dark crystal yeah which is odd but <clears throat> Yeah, that is weird to me that you enjoy that movie. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, I don't know what that's about. Uh, this is the one and only time uh, Walter Merck is going to appear on this list because this is the only movie that he ever directed, hmm. which is interesting. But long and storied career that is presumably still going. Um, but he is the editor of... The Conversation, hmm. Apocalypse Now, Ghost to Godfather 3, Romeo's Bleeding, English Patient, Talented Mr. Ripley, Cold Mountain. Like, I mean, he's um well-respected editor, uh, won Academy Award for the English Patient, and is a sound designer as well and has has done sound on did sound for thx 1138 Mm. uh the godfather american graffiti godfather part two he did sound same with apocalypse now um yeah he's like got tons of like sound design like credits to his name too i'm sorry yeah so he did direct an episode of uh the clone wars um animated series but that's nice but it's Which only episode? uh it's called the general hmm. i don't uh, know that one just by the title general krell orders captain rex and the clone troopers to conquer a heavily fortified umbarian airbase and will not accept anything less than victory it's almost a certain suicide mission unless the clones can use their ingenuity to defeat the new enemy mm, i do remember that one that's a good episode so yeah, that's his only other directorial credit ever. But um, um besides this movie. But uh, yeah, so was was this something you would watch you watched a lot as a kid, or is this something that like just stuck in your memory after and you only watched it like a couple of times or something? No, I've seen this movie at least a dozen times that's in my life. Right. Maybe more than that. This is a movie that I I mean, I, I I didn't watch this on DVD. I watched it on um, Disney Plus. We're streaming for free, but I've I've mm-hmm. owned this on DVD for I don't know okay. almost twenty years, probably. Like as soon as it was available to purchase, I bought it. Like I legitimately love this movie from my childhood. So, so she's. I texted you this because I again I don't know anything about any of the Balm books. I never read them or anything like that, but. So she's really young in this, 
Yeah. And that's based off the books, correct? Yeah, I think she's like eight or nine in the books, maybe ten. Like she's not a I I think that Dorothy and Wizard of Oz is supposed to be that age too. It's just that um what's her name? Uh Judy Garland. Yeah, Judy Garland is more of like a teen. Um and looks like a teen. Just wearing like ridiculous clothes, so yeah okay yeah that's actually really disturbing then um to me about the original wizard of oz is she's supposed to be playing like like an yeah, eight ten year old she's a child I, I i'm pretty sure i mean it's been a i read the bomb books when i was probably like 13 or 14 um i would take them out like two or three out of the library every week and just read them um but i don't remember exactly how old she's supposed to be but i think she's like a, a preteen in in the books yeah weird um all right but yeah and for anyone that's interested you can get if you have kindle um Mm -hmm. you can get all the bomb books for free in one collection interesting how many Um, are there oh jesus i don't know like 30 or something oh really jesus yeah it's 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 a lot i Um, have no idea okay i think maybe that's an exaggeration but i think it's at least 20 and i'm almost positive it's 20 plus Again, it's been like 30 some years since I've read them, but yeah, but I really enjoyed them a lot. And if you like stuff like, I don't know, like the Narnia stuff or Harry Potter or whatever, like things that are more geared towards like a young adult mm-hmm. or like whatever pubescent, prepubescent audience, like it's, it's, it's worth reading. I shouldn't say it like that. They're written very well. They're just written in a way that's like easy to digest. So, mm-hmm. okay. Oh yeah, I'm looking at a list of them now. That's crazy. Um, yeah, they also they eventually move away from Dorothy. I mean, it's a lot about Ozma, um, who's in this movie. Um, the Scarecrow being like all that stuff, all the stuff that's represented in this movie is a much more faithful representation of Oz of Baum's version of Oz than what you see in the Wizard of Oz. Gotcha. So that <laughs> that darkness is definitely inherent in Baum's stuff. Um so yeah that's actually much more interesting to me so is the wizard was the wizard of oz then exactly like the book kind of i sort of i don't i don't really remember that book that well okay interesting i'll have to look into that more i probably should have but i've never read any of them so all right uh number four on your list is 2008 that's a question i want to ask you at some point 2008's the chaser it is directed by na hong jin and stars kim yun sok ha jung woo and seo young yi um it has an 82 percent from critics and an 89 percent from audiences uh so you want to tell us a little bit about this one and um how it ended up making your list uh so based on real life serial killer um yu young shul uh it's about a guy who's a former police detective who's quit the force and become a pimp um and his girls are disappearing in this one uh district in seoul called mang mangwon um so at first he thinks that they're running out on him and then he thinks that there's somebody that's basically like kidnapping them um stealing them from him so he starts to investigate and basically unravels that there's this killer that's living in that district that's 
calling for prostitutes, getting the prostitutes to her house and then murdering them, thinking that no one's going to come and look for him. Um, and he's living in a home of this elderly couple that he's also murdered um, in this gated community in this like sort of wealthier district uh, in Seoul. Um, so it's, there's a cat and, not really cat and mouse, there's like a, um, a time element to it because after, um, fuck, I need to look up his name. Uh, Yoon um, Jun Ho, Yoon Jun Ho, Jun Ho, I guess is what they call him. Mm-hmm. Um, his one of his girls, Mi Jin, um, goes with this this killer, <clears throat> and he goes to look for her, and he sort of realizes that a during a tra- like a free like a traffic accident with the killer that the guy's covered in blood and he's acting suspicious. Um, so he chases him down and beats the shit out of him. And they both get arrested, and that's where uh, the killer reveals that, like, you know, I've killed all these women, and it matches the profile of a killer that they're looking for in the area. But then he sort of starts to back off the statement because his goal is to spend as much time as possible until the statute of limitations or whatever you call it, like the amount of time that law enforcement can hold someone legally before, like, obtaining a confession or whatever, um, charging them with a crime. Um, the whole time Mi Jin is locked up in this guy's soundproofed bathroom, um, tied up and using broken glass to try and, um, or broken porcelain to try and cut herself free. And she gets free and she escapes and she runs to this corner store and she's, you know, bloodied because he's hit her in the head with a hammer and from, you know, cutting herself loose and escaping. And the woman at the corner store hides her in the back, but then, um, the killer who's been set free and has taken the bus back to the neighborhood um, to go back to his house happens into the store again like just a freak occurrence and realizes that she's there and murders the store owner and then Mijin um, and fuck Jungho um, has taken an interest in Mijin's daughter who he's come across and sort of developing like a paternal bond with this kid and kind of rein, sort of reinvigorating his whatever his nascent instincts as an investigator, um, and then he has to go back to the house and <clears throat> find the guy, and they um, they fight with each other, and then in the end, the police come and arrest him and dig up all the bodies that are buried in the um, the yard of the house. So on the surface, it's like that probably doesn't sound super disturbing. Um, so I guess I need to explain like why I find the chaser to be disturbing. Um, the first element is the performance of um, Ha Jun Woo, uh, who's playing Young Min, who's the serial killer. Um, one of my favorite performances of a serial killer on film ever, I think. Um, I would say easily top five because of the kind of obsequious, uh, almost, I don't know. I don't want to use like an offensive term here, but he's, he comes off as kind of simple in a lot of ways in the way when he interacts with other people. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's an insidiousness to everything and there's ways that he phrases things and ways that like the actor uses his eyes to like look at people or 
like kind of like half lidded and almost like half asleep but there's this i don't know like he he conveys an element he conveys an element of evil it's like a serpentine element to it yeah exactly and in the way that he he presents himself that you see as the viewer but other people like the characters in the movie might miss um but that uh junho like picks up on pretty early on um i'm a big fan of um kim yoon silk who plays junho um he's been in a bunch of other korean stuff uh i don't know if i've ever had you watch any of the stuff i don't think so but i i really like him as an actor a lot um and just so he uses a hammer and a chisel to to murder his victims and it's like there's that scene in texas chainsaw where they have um marilyn burns sally uh, tied up and over the bucket and grandpa's got the hammer Mm -hmm. and it's like the hammer falls and just barely grazes her head and then misses her head and then hits her like sort of solid but then and like the blood starts to form and like her blonde hair and one of the things that bothers me more than anything is the idea of head trauma and like things like shattering someone's skull or like puncturing someone's skull right and the combination of her dawning realization when she first goes in there that something's wrong and then her tried and trying to escape and him dragging her in and like hitting her in the head with the hammer and only being interrupted by the couple that's coming to visit the original couple of the house that he murdered that basically ends up you know initially saving her life and then the horror like one of the things that really gets me in horror movies is the idea of someone escaping and then still being caught like managing to get away but then um the killer still gets him or something still happens to him i know you hate this scene but in devil's rejects like the woman runs out of the hotel and she's free like she's escaped um and then gets hit by the tractor trailer which you know i know that you're not a fan of that cgi but still like the idea of that is yeah it's pretty horrific like they you know someone could get away and still it doesn't matter like they're still you know like there was really no hope for him to begin with and especially because you've kind of the little girl that plays her daughter does a really great job i think of um and it's it's always different watching asian movies because cultures and social norms are so different there so when you see kids or you watch relationships like it's sort of alien to the way that we interact with people but you know this tough whatever she is five or six year old that's her mother's a prostitute and she's probably seen some awful things but she still maintains you know like an air of defiance and like an indomitable spirit um and watching her finally break down when she realizes that her mother's probably dead and the idea that the mother who's gone through all this stuff and shown this toughness and shouldn't even have been there because she tried to quote unquote call out of work from her prostitute duties because she was sick and you know Jungho forces her to go and then she manages to escape and she still ends up dead at this guy's hands i mean that's um pretty disturbing to me uh so that's it really i mean i i really like the korean sensibility when it comes to horror movies and in particular serial killer movies um we've talked about i saw the devil before which is Mm -hmm. one of my favorite movies for the last 20 years um 
There's also Memories of a Murder, which is a really great movie. Um, all of Chanwick Park stuff, which aren't necessarily serial killer movies, but have that same sort of dark sensibility to them. Um, I don't know what it is about Seoul. I mean, maybe maybe living under the threat of like nuclear holocaust constantly because you have a dictator to the north, you know, who has no compunction about whatever, like sacrificing his own people for his own gain. Um I don't know, maybe that does something to like the psyche, but there's definitely some really dark stuff in uh Korean horror. And I think the Chaser is a really good example of that. So Yeah, it seems like there's a ton of um serial killer movies out of that country the one thing that i was interested in i meant to do this research so i don't know i don't know if you looked this up but there's a really predominant um trope in korean crime and horror where the police are corrupt and incompetent Mm -hmm. and that none of them are ever capable of even conducting the most basic investigation um and that happens here uh, in the way that uh, the killers captured and interrogated um, you're rooting in the end for a guy who's an exploiter of women like he's literally a pimp and it's his fault that like basically the majority of the movie is happening I mean even though he's the one that sort of I don't know I guess like solves the crime and and helps to catch the guy it's it's because of him that you know this the situation with me Jin especially exists um and he sent at least two other girls that have gotten killed by this guy too so I don't know it's like somehow that guy is the better detective than all these other like actual detectives like it's just a very if we made movies that showed the police in the light that the Koreans show the police, there would be like endless outcry about, I don't know, like back in the blue and how dare you like portray the police in this light. But I mean, that's every Korean movie has like some large amount of corrupt police, not every Korean movie, but like the majority of Korean crime movies. So, so, so just some quick research just to, follow up on what you're saying uh, among south korean uh in south korea uh, among the state organizations prosecutors police and judges scored the lowest among um like being trustworthy or uh you know steadfast i guess like so they're like viewed as the most corrupt um out of all kind of state officials and uh the other thing i found was that um four in ten so 40 percent of koreans believe that most or all police are corrupt um so yeah i guess it's a pretty large like national sentiment overall that the police are corrupt there that's interesting i mean i it's something that i've noticed over the course of whatever like 20 plus years of watching korean films so I never thought to look it up because I guess I'm an idiot, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure one of their, um, one of their presidents had a huge corruption case sometime in the past 10 years. Right. Um, I don't know. Okay. Cause I'm pretty sure that's like, was, I remember reading at some point that, uh, 
oh, what's his name? Is it Moon? President Moon, um, the president there now, um, I think ran on an anti-corruption platform, if I remember correctly. So I'm pretty sure like one of their previous uh, presidents was was known for like, you know, being corrupt, <clears throat> like some kind of big case. But um, let's just see. Yes, this was not that long ago. Uh, I'm not going to go ahead and butcher her name, but she was present and found guilty on 16 charges, including abuse of power and bribery. I mean, this largely predates that, but I mean, maybe this is stuff that's been going on there for a long time. Um, another former president um, was also charged with corruption scandals um, in 2018. So, yeah, that's just in the past 10 years, there's been two, a, a sitting president and a former president that's been jailed for corruption, um, which I didn't know until just now. So that's all I can speak to it. Do you think this is more disturbing or I saw the devil? That was one of the questions I had for you with this. I think I saw the devil is more fantastical. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is more not that this is like realistic procedural like drama or whatever, but this has more realism to it than I saw the devil, which is almost like <laughs> I don't know, like a horror superhero movie kinda. Mm-hmm. I mean, with people with almost like superhuman strength and endurance. Right. right. Um, there's always that element of, I don't know, karate, not karate, that's racist, but like martial arts action in the Korean movies. Um, yeah, I don't know. I guess I saw the devil is probably more disturbing in general because it spreads itself out to more like all the shit in the house like the serial killer house basically is probably more disturbing um where they're eating people mm -hmm. um yeah and, that's a pretty disturbing sequence yeah you're right. and and the fact that um oh man i was i i had this guy's i knew this guy's name the other day because i was just saying it um hung jewel or whatever the name of the serial killer is um that's i i think another one of like my favorite performances ever by somebody playing like a, a villain like that like that and this one from the chaser and henry are definitely like in my top five serial killer performances mm -hmm. of all time i don't know what the other two are so don't ask um <laughs> right. those three are there all right i'll refrain from that yeah i really like the performance in this a lot um from from that actor i I think it's interesting the hammer thing bothers you so much. I uh are you scared of getting stabbed? Nah, like, I don't mind getting nah. stabbed. See yeah. that that's I think that's my thing is like I, I'm I'm terrified of the idea of like a knife penetrating skin. Um so like when I see those things in brutal detail of some sort, like it it really disturbs me. So so here's here's the thing. It's not just the hammer in general, it's specifically the hammer hitting your head. Mm -hmm. And like, mm -hmm. I've cut myself plenty of times, right? And like, uh -huh. cooking or whatever. Sure. 
and it hurts but it heals pretty quick you know it tends to be like a very small like incision point that like closes up quickly um and i've even had to get stitches before because of cutting myself but like a hammer it's like your skull is cracked like how do you come back from that you know right oh yeah i get you Uh, yeah i just don't think it like i don't know it doesn't affect me the same way like necessarily do you think yeah. it has something to do with Texas Chainsaw that, like, that's in your head so much? I can actually tell you exactly what it has to do with. Oh, okay. Um, I was in third grade. It was the last day of school, and this this kid, Corby, was running past the swing sets, and this asshole kid, who I won't name, um, purposefully swung out and kind of, like, jumped off and kicked Corby in the head mm. with his shoes, mm-hmm. and it, like, I don't know, like caused a laceration on his head and it was just like so much blood. Mm. And it was, I don't know, 10 feet away from me. So that's, um, that's always stuck with me. Gotcha. So like head trauma in some ways is the, is yeah. the idea. Heads, eyes. I, I really, eye stuff bothers me. Yeah. Eye stuff bothers me too. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm not talking about lacerations though. Like somebody's just like cutting you up a little bit. Like I'm talking about like the idea of like a, like a butcher knife, like, 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 like Michael Myers, like using a knife to pin that guy to a wall on Halloween, like, like, like insertion of like something into like your stomach, you know, or something like that. Like that shit freaks me out. Like that's, that's my thing. Like where I have a hard time watching it. Um, yeah, I really like this movie overall. I thought it was a little long, um um i don't know if i found it as disturbing as you did but i thought it was a really good cat and mouse and i thought it had some really effective scenes including that botched killing with the hammer i thought the convenience store scene was really tense and disturbing watching that but um but yeah it's it's a it's an interesting story about a guy like you know who wasn't looking for redemption but like kind of starts trying to find redemption in some ways uh, as he um as he like tries to like you know stop this guy and yeah it's just a really solid performance from from um uh who is that ha ha jung wo um woo sorry woo um as the killer like i think it's um i agree i think it's it's probably up there in terms of just the his mannerisms the way he looks like um and behaves and stuff like that it's um it's pretty effective so yeah yeah Yeah, it's a really good movie i'm um this is i i don't know where i found this movie i i started watching it around the same time or i watched it for the first time around the same time i i think i watched i saw the devil Mm -hmm. so maybe there was some channel like ifc was showing a bunch of korean horror or something at one time or maybe it was like a netflix thing but um Yeah. yeah yeah anyway i think it's definitely worth watching (laughs) maybe pluto tv has a fucking channel dedicated to korean serial killer movies or something Um, (laughs) they have a channel dedicated to everything else pluto tv is crazy man yeah pluto tv has um has a lot of stuff 24 hours price is right every day like it's just nuts um all right all right, so number three on your list is 2011 Snowtown. Uh, it's also referred to at times as the Snowtown Murders. It is directed by Justin Kurzel. It stars Daniel Henshaw, Lucas Pitaway, 
Craig Coyne, Richard Green, David Walker. It has an 84% from critics on Rotten Tomatoes, a 66% from audiences. Uh, you want to tell us a little bit about this movie and uh, what made it so disturbing to you? Uh, so also, um, one of a number of movies on this list based on the true story mm-hmm. um, follows a impoverished family um in adelaide uh australia um a town a place called snowtown um young boy named jamie whose um father is gone his mother is i don't know not necessarily the best or most attentive mother or she doesn't really have like much of a choice because she's got to whatever like fend for her family and she's sort of puts people in she puts her sons in bad situations to kind of satisfy her own needs. Um, Jamie's being raped by his older brother, Troy, um, which first like super disturbing thing to me is like that early scene mm-hmm. when Troy like forces Jamie to the ground and, and sodomizes him. It's getting awful. Um, so Jamie befriends uh, this guy, John, who lives in the area, who's... Um, homophobic and uh strongly against pedophiles which i mean sounds like something that you know whatever you would sort of be on board with but he's very much like a bigot in a lot of ways and um befriends jamie and slowly kind of introduces him to um introduces himself into his life as being like jamie's father figure um, which he sorely lacks, um, starts to drive a wedge between um, Jamie and the other people in the town. Like, it's a small community, and there's, fuck, Robert, is that the name of the elder, the older, like, homosexual? Um, this guy that's generally liked in the town, and John drives a wedge between him by just, like, oh, well, you know, like, I'm, I'm just saying how I feel. Um, is this is this the cross dresser? Yeah, the cross dresser. Uh, a Barry. Barry, right? I'm sorry, Barry. Um, and eventually reveals to Jamie that um, him and his friend have have murdered people, uh, which Jamie initially kind of recoils from, but it doesn't stop him from um still hanging out with with John. Um, John eventually gets Jamie into like the act of murdering people, including, um, I guess the first guy he murders is Troy because John Mm -hmm. finds out that Troy is, um, raping Jamie and then they kidnap and torture him. And then Jamie sort of, I guess, puts him out of his misery. Mm -hmm. Um, really, I don't know. I thought about putting this movie at number one because I think that honestly this movie disturbs me more than the other movies maybe Um, only because it feels so real Mm -hmm. like this is the only movie on this list that has absolutely no element of what I would call fantasy in it I mean it's 100% like grounded in reality and it's a very like grim and grimy and like poor reality um 
and the performance of I don't even know who this actor's name is, but uh, the performance of Daniel Henshaw as John is one of the more darkly charismatic and believable performances, I think. Um, I, I don't know. Like it's, it's just, he's very, very believable. He feels like somebody, especially where, where we grew up and where we live, which has a lot of similarities, I think to this place. I mean, not as like backwater or whatever, but definitely in terms of the, the views of a lot of people and the fact of, you know, like need to find someone to blame for your own financial state and mm-hmm. sort of the, the inherent bigotry that exists. Um, especially because when we were young, like man like being a homosexual was like maybe the biggest insult that you could levy at someone i think when we were kids um but just like there's just the like the stark brutality i guess of the way that things are filmed in this movie where there's nothing sensationalized in a lot of ways it reminds me of henry in that respect Mm -hmm. because you're just you're just seeing these things happen and it's not like titillating or right glamorized it just it's it's just done um yeah i don't know anything that involves the rape of a child is super disturbing to me um but the point that like you get where i don't know if sympathize is the right word but like you certainly don't want to see troy like you know get murdered at that point mm-hmm. even though he's kind of brought it on himself because they live in i mean the mother is a an awful human being um and definitely like the cause of a lot of their issues but still you know the the way that john brings jamie in and kind of makes him like uses his need for a father figure to like draw him in to be an accomplice to these murders it's just um it's horrific and it's made even more so i think by the fact that you know it's uh it's it's based on a true story so yeah yeah it's funny i mean i had in my notes here this came close at times to henry for me but didn't quite make it and yeah i feel similarly there's scenes in here that are really just hard to watch and that's outside of the things like the killings or the rapes or anything like that that happen in it like just there's a scene towards towards the end where jamie breaks down and um shit uh john like sits there and basically tells him everything's going to be like basically like bullies him but then tells him everything's going to be okay and to wipe his tears and um, and you see like the kind of relief and joy that Jamie gets out of like being comforted by him in some ways. And like, that's when he tell John tells him that he, he needs him. And um, the, the level of manipulation that goes on in this at times to me is just as disturbing as those sequences, because it's, it's so odd because it's like this guy who like hates homosexuals and, you know often the grooming nature that comes along with those kind of things like he's grooming jamie in just the same way to become a killer (laughs) um 
as a pedophile might like you know groom like a young boy to um into a sexual um right you know encounters but so watching that manipulation is really disturbing where like it just goes back and forth between being hot and cold all the time um obviously the thing that bothers me most in this movie probably is the sequence with the dog oh yeah yeah the i mean that's really like the first time that he sort of like truly exerts control over jamie as a human is in making him like murder the dog right and it is it was really disturbing to me that it's like his own dog yeah like it's john's dog and he's like i don't it's just a dog i don't i don't care like um and right because he's like look i love this dog like this is a good dog Mm -hmm. now you got to kill this like shoot this dog right yeah right um i think henshaw in this movie is really really good it's an amazing performance i think pitaway is good as jamie as well but i think henshaw in this movie is really good and he's like the first thing that i started seeing at times where it reminded me of henry some is is that character now completely different from henry because he can pass this character in to some degree he can pass in civilized society where henry henry can cannot no. <laughs> like um but this character can smile he can you know tell a um, joke yes i mean he sits there and has drinks and stuff with barry mm-hmm. you know i mean that's that's the thing that like really i don't know like really pulls you in i think with that performance is the idea that here's a person that can like break bread with someone and then mm-hmm. you know kill them yeah it's just it's it's i don't know there, and there's something about the way that henshaw plays it with his shoulders like always kind of like erect and back oh, yeah a lot of times to where it's like he carries himself almost in like a, a military way like often almost like you get the impression that this guy could have been i guess it's something maybe maybe he is in some ways but it's like he could he could have been in like a survivalist type um he could have been somebody like a prepper who's like you know um prepping for like you know the end of the world and is like a survivalist like military uh, wannabe military type um but especially in those scenes with like people like Barry when they're sitting around the kitchen table and stuff like that, he he keeps himself in that position a lot of times, almost to like feign like his superiority in some ways, like his his manliness, you know, and those kind of things. It's 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 a really interesting performance. Um, um and i i only write a little bit about the case and i think i watched a youtube yeah i watched like one or two youtube videos on like the the actual case itself um but yeah it's a really interesting performance to me too because it's like we we know enough now about homophobia and some of its underlying reasons at times um of why that homophobia exists and i i find it really interesting the grooming nature of that relationship um considering and i think there's a lot of cycle i think there's a lot of things that henshaw does that provides us uh, the possibilities of psychological depth that you can read into that you could take one way or the other and um it makes for a really kind of sick and compelling character yeah i I agreed 
so if you ever want to watch a movie that's um similar in tone but not quite as like disturbing i guess mm-hmm. um 2008's this is britain hmm. is a good um a good companion piece of this about a young kid uh same sort of similar situation like absentee father um comes from an impoverished family who falls in with a gang of skinheads like um, white british nationalists um really excellent movie like if you ever get the chance to see it you should check it out this is england this is britain i think okay. or is, is it this is england i'm trying to look it up to see if yeah I you're right it. this this is england okay this is england okay i was just trying to see if it's anywhere that i can watch um another one that just like i don't know it makes you sad as much as you know anything like it's just and again like you and i have grown up in an area where you knew kids who came from like rough families and kids who have been abused and there was always like that kind of dark darkness to like where we grew up and like you watch a movie like like Snowtown or again like if you watch this this is England movie, like you see that and you you recognize people you knew you know and like you can see, sure, sure. like it's a very um, it's a very wide eyed portrayal of home of like like bigotry and grooming I think like how you said is is a really accurate way to put it um and it's just really disturbing and i think that like again like especially in where we live like we we see that stuff um you know still happening today with people like you think and we live in this global world where you can be connected to anybody in you know moments like across the you know the sphere of the earth and yet you still have people that are bigots and racists and homophobes and and it all comes from like that just i don't know that um that ancestral like animosity that just exists and gets you know carried through and bred from generation to generation so i don't know oh shit we have a whole damn state that has a bill that they're calling the don't say gay bill i mean come on right i mean it's awful um But yeah, no, I, I this was probably the movie. I watched this and the next movie we were getting ready to talk about in the same day. And I had the, no, I actually watched, I watched Return to Oz also that same day. It was three of them in one day. Um, right. And you were like, I need to take a break. Yeah. I need to stop. Like, you know, um, one of the, one of the few times like I've actually watched um, a, a podcast movie in the same week that we've talked about it. But, um, uh, two of them actually but um but yeah I, I, was, I was a little behind this week just because i had to take a break because uh this movie this is the last one i watched that day and um yeah there are scenes in this that like really just kind of stuck with me in a lot of ways um people um people talk about this um just so you know in two in terms of vengeance is mine like kind of comparing it oh that's interesting yeah um uh, which I thought, yeah, I thought was interesting, because um, we have talked about that as well, and and then there's sequences in that movie that I thought think are also very disturbing. Um, <clears throat> Just not them throwing the bones away at the end. Not that one. Not that scene. Um, right. 
I I fucking love that movie. Yeah. That's it. So there, okay. So maybe there's an, I don't know. We should do a supplemental um, top 10 serial killer portrayals okay. in movies yeah. at some point. We'll do maybe in October. We can do that as like a supplemental podcast. Sure. I'm fine with that. Um, you always that's bring another up, great one. It is. Yeah. Uh, you always bring up that. See, there's another one. You just did it again, actually. Like, you're always bringing up these, like, little scenes that I don't like in things. And I was like, I really like Vengeance is mine a lot. But you bring that up because... And I like, remember us, us arguing about the the purpose of that scene. Yeah, fuck that scene. Um, but it's like the Devil's Rejects, too. It's like, I love the Devil's Rejects. But it's like that one scene, I think, <laughs> is just awful. But you're always bringing it up. And it's like, you're, like, low-key, like, trying to make it seem like I don't like those movies or something. Um, I mean, let's, let's I, be I, honest. I'm, I'm, I'm a cancer when it I'm comes just, down I'm, to it. So. I'm just saying. I see you. <laughs> um, all right. So number two on your list is 2011's The Woman, directed by Lucky McKee. Stars Pollyanna McIntosh, Sean Bridgers, Lauren Ashley Carter, and Angelina Bettis. It has a 73% from critics and a 55% from audiences on Rotten Tomatoes. So you want to tell us a little bit about this movie and um, why it's on the list? Angelina Bettis? Angela Bettis. Angela Bettis, sorry. I I, um, Yeah. Um, There's there's actually a reason for that, but I'll I'll tell you. I'm curious. It's not... It's just because I had to take that name, take that name a lot recently. So, mm, so um, it's nothing nefarious, Frank. It's just it's work. It's always nefarious. <laughs> um, I don't know how. Okay, so this is a movie of escalating craziness, basically that becomes mm. more disturbing as you continue. And it starts pretty bad. Um, the general plot is that there's this woman, um, feral, dirty, disheveled woman living in the woods. Uh, and this asshole father who's abusive to his family. Um, and again, the way that they, Chris Cleek is the name of this character. He's an attorney in this small town and they start him off just being kind of a, I don't know, wedding singer. What's that guy's name? Gulia, Dave Gulia or whatever his name is in that movie, like ask just prick and escalate him into being like this sociopathic monster. So he kidnaps this woman that he finds in the woods um, and ties her up in his root cellar under the auspices that him and his family are going to civilize her. They're going to clean her up and make her civilized. And then proceeds to uh, torture and rape this woman um, while also sexually abusing his elder daughter, physically abusing his wife, mentally abusing his son by basically turning him into a sociopath in the same way that he is. Um, The son sexually tortures the woman um, by pinching at her nipple with a pair of pliers, I guess. Um, There's a character, a young teacher who tries to uh, 
sort of sympathize and help the daughter because she thinks that she's pregnant. Um, and it turns out that it was the father that got her pregnant. And then um, she gets thrown in their dog kennel and you find out that they have a third daughter because there's a youngest kid too, Darlin, um, who the sequel to this movie is about. Um, but there's a third daughter that was born with, I'm not going to say this correctly, but like Anna something, basically like without eyes, um, who they've conditioned to act like a feral dog who murders the teacher. Um, but finally the woman is freed by the elder daughter. Uh, the woman murders, uh, the mother who's kind of allowed all these things to happen, uh, murders the son, uh, murders the father. And then, recognizes that the eldest daughter is pregnant and sort of takes all the daughters with her and becomes the new mother and leads them out into the the woods um and what i just described doesn't even begin to like describe i don't know the freaking like insane depravity that you see in this movie but i will say this it always is in service of a plot and it's never so gratuitous that it becomes obscene does that make sense like there's some pretty pretty graphic gore in this movie but it's never so much where it's stomach churning or it's like i don't know like it forces your eyes away from the screen like it's always very riveting um and when you finally see uh the father get his comeuppance like it's pretty pretty satisfying um really great performances across the board um angela bettis who has worked with lucky mckee several times um playing the mother like this almost shell-shocked victim that never stands up for herself and then the one time she does gets the shit beat out of her um what's the name of the father sean sean bridgers i guess yeah uh-huh. right is his name yeah. um as chris cleek is it it's really brilliant how slow they build you to realize how terrible of a person he is ultimately. Yeah. And it, it like, again, it starts pretty bad because the first scenes are him screwing somebody out of their, like basically their life savings and then browbeating the son and browbeating the wife and the kid and just being a complete asshole and, then kidnapping somebody and then it just gets worse from there um the first time that you watch this movie even after i've described it i think you'll be really taken aback by the things that happen and how quickly things happen and how fast this movie goes and i think out of all the movies on this list this is the one that felt like it just i mean i don't even know how long this movie is it it feels like it's like seriously 101 minutes yeah it feels like 45 like it just goes it's so fast and there's so many things always happening and again like lucky mckee does this amazing job of just micro escalations that build Mm -hmm. to this like crazy crescendo and then when you finally come down like when the women are all walking like away from the house it's just it's almost like this like huge like tension release you know 
and it's almost a happy ending like even though all these people right. are dead and everything like right. you know at least they got away like mm-hmm. the, the three innocents are the ones that ended up surviving even though the the teacher doesn't you know deserve quote-unquote what she gets but right um really well filmed uh fantastic performances for being um mostly non-verbal uh shit what's her name pollyanna mcintosh yeah pollyanna mcintosh's performance as the woman um is fantastic it's just um I don't like to use this term because I think it's a whack term, but it really is like a true like hidden gem of 2000s horror, I think, because I don't know. I don't know that it gets talked about enough for as good and as powerful of a movie as it is and as effective a movie as it is, because there's so many movies that try to be shocking and try to be, um, I don't know, like that. I don't even know how to call it like counterculture horror or whatever, but this movie is like, so just so, I don't know, like like unexpected when you see it, like it's, it's, it's really a a great movie and really worth watching. And again, just uh, go ahead. This is my favorite movie, like out of this list. Uh, This is the one I, God, I enjoy it should not be the word that I use here, but it's like um, a lot of the points you said are things I, I would also say is that like I I thought this movie was captivating enough that it felt like it didn't have like long run time to it. Like I was intrigued from the beginning by the mystery of all of it, of like, you know, what what the hell's going on? Is this guy like legit? in any way like in trying to civilize this woman like you know i suspected that was not the case that he was legit and like you know having like any good intentions whatsoever but um but it's like they play it so well early on that like could this guy just be a guy who's reaching middle age and is looking for a different challenge in life or like you know i mean and just the slow on this is slow build towards all of just how depraved the family and him like actually are is really well done like i i'm trying to think if i realized he was the father like he was the one that impregnated his daughter and i I think I only figured it out once the teacher got to the house and I was like, Oh my God. Like, and like, like before, before like the whole thing, it like dawned on me. Um, because there's a whole thing that happens right before she gets to the house that kind of like, you know, it, it, at that point, it's like, if you, if I hadn't got it, I would have been a fool, but, and then the fact that he's, he's training his son, <laughs> to be the same way as him right like th- this is it's that's this is the stuff that i found disturbing there was nothing in terms of the graphicness necessarily i think that i found like disturbing necessarily um it's the concept of that that this kind of domination sexually physically um mentally of women 
can like take place in this like small household and that it can be hidden even in a film from you the viewer for so long right until you realize the pure horror of all of it that's what i found most disturbing by all of it by 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 this movie and because this is uh, it's stuff that comes across my youtube channel so i know youtube like you know like stuff that like uh i see the stuff but it it's very much like the quiverful quiverful lifestyle and stuff like that like these kind of like some of this deeply like kind of like far right christian lifestyles and stuff that like where the man is always like the absolute head of the household and what they say goes and um the the problems that i've seen that people that have come out of that life talk about um reminds me a lot of this movie uh, as i'm watching it um about the way the wives are treated about the way the daughters are treated about the way the sons are raised to you know be the man of the house right to, and this was really disturbing but you're right the comeuppance here that happens like as sad as all of it is like kind of is like at least like ends it on a positive note so there's like some relief a little bit um that you're going to have this kind of like fucked up family like that develops out of out of all this um of of these abused women um i really angela bettis it's really funny because like lucky mckee we haven't talked about this movie on the podcast but when COVID started and I caught up on all the horror movies, like most of them for like the past, like 20 years that like, I haven't seen. Um, May is one of my favorite ones. And yeah, May, is really May is a really disturbing movie to me. I have a lot of visuals from that movie that have like stuck with me, like in the past couple of years. Um, that's Angela, Angela Bettis. Um, that's in that. And I really liked her in this. Um, I was shocked by Sean Bridgers because I didn't, I, I knew there was something about the way he talked and his like mouth that like I recognized him and but I didn't fully recognize who it was and he plays Johnny like the kind of like dunce in Deadwood um Al Swearingen's like yeah. dunce colleague yeah. like and it's like I didn't know that he had this in him to play this character and um i think once i realized who it was like it made it even more disturbing to me (laughs) because johnny's so kind of likable um that he's like this evil um in terms of criticism the the thing that i found bitching about the most oddly enough from uh uh, viewers was the soundtrack oh I, i like the soundtrack me too I thought it was distracting a couple of times, but largely I thought it was effective. I really like the, I, so I'm a pretty big fan of a good score or a good soundtrack, especially like a really well put together soundtrack. I think it's really brilliant that they had one singer songwriter basically write like every song to this movie and have it done in a way where it was almost like written inspired by the movie and in some ways like it's used 
the song that's playing is used to convey the opposite emotion as to what you're seeing on the screen i, I don't know like I, I thought it was pretty brilliant use of um of music and the fact that like i don't know like again he did it by having like one guy write everything um probably saved him a shitload of money rather than trying to license like some music from people or use some like off-brand like whatever but yeah i thought the soundtrack i i think is really good yeah yeah i actually i thought that it made some of those scenes really effective in terms of um making it uncomfortable at times and then some things that where i thought that like it actually like pulled you into the scene more um i noticed it you know which maybe i don't know some people i've heard say if you notice it then it's a problem but um i i I thought it was pretty effective so that's the only like that that was like the one overriding criticism that i saw of this movie um that's weird to me besides the fact that it's like it's too violent it's too graphic it's you know all that kind of stuff but it's like that's all these movies so it's funny that you mentioned that you felt like it was seeing the scene where the teacher comes to the house when you realize like basically that he's been like you know raping his daughter Mm -hmm. um I noticed that the first time I saw this movie, and this is the third time watching it last week that I've seen this movie, but mm-hmm. I especially noticed it um, this time. It's the scene where he goes in to talk to her before um, before she goes to bed, and Angela Bettis is, like, in the doorway, like, halfway in the doorway, like, watching it, like, with trepidation. Like, what's he going to do here? Mm-hmm. And then he goes out and rapes the woman. Mm-hmm. like i think the first time i saw it, i was like oh my god is he like molesting his daughter mm-hmm. too mm-hmm. um it had a very like i don't know jamie's got a gun feel to it mm-hmm. like that scene so yeah no that makes sense um yeah i i, I just i don't think i had like picked up on just how awful the guy was yet like necessarily like by that point into and I don't think it's to me I picked up on like just the depths of the depravity until he rapes the woman like yeah I think that's like when I start to realize like how fucked up he is but yeah and he got the boys will be boys like speech that he gives oh my god yes defending his son for Mm -hmm. you know yeah yes yeah no that that whole like from that point on like that movie is just fucking wild like it like that that's one of those things where it's like it feels like it's like it's 30 minutes of screen time like from there to the end and it's like it feels like it's fucking 10 minutes like right yeah that's that's the true escalation point of that movie yeah absolutely but yeah i i I really like that movie a lot i love it i i I do want to watch like the the movie surrounding it at some point even though i've heard they're not quite as good maybe but darling is darling is fine i've never seen um whatever the other one yeah the, the first one's to it. yeah um i do find the concept fascinating of like the cannibals like taking her as a young girl um the the, the woman character like taking her as a young girl and then this is the idea of the civilization is like stealing her back kind of um and trying to civilize her now um i i, I don't know how that concept came about like but um it certainly sounds interesting that um 
All right. So number one on your list, uh, which is the last movie I have watched for this list, is 2010's Cold Fish. It is directed by Shion Sono. It stars Makoto Ashikawa, Denden, Mitsuru Fukikoshi, and Asuka Kurosawa. It has a 74% from critics on Rotten Tomatoes and a 75% from audiences. Um, Want to tell us a bit about this and why you put it at number one? Uh, so the movie um, follows uh, shit. Um, Saimoto, um, who's this meek, kind of weak-willed, um, or um, maybe mild-mannered is the better way yeah. to put it. Uh, fish store owner um, who lives with his rebellious daughter and his unsatisfied wife um by circumstance one night his daughter is caught shoplifting and um, when he goes to pick her up there's an elderly gentleman that kind of like smooths things over the store owner that you find out is uh, murata who owns the biggest like exotic fish store um in the area uh, Murata invites them back to his store, kind of ingratiates himself with the family, um, offers the daughter a job where she'll live um, at his fish store and kind of work with these other young women. Um, so in the beginning, seems like he's kind of this like kindly benefactor um, that's going to help Saimoto and his family like achieve success and whatever. Um, but again, in terms of like slow escalation, then... Uh, begins to reveal himself as being a predator in multiple ways. Um, first by uh, basically beating and raping um, the wife, Heiko, um, which is also a really disturbing scene because she like enjoys it um, because he's like exerting some kind of, I guess, manly dominance over her where her husband like won't do that. Um and then gets uh, Saimoto to come in on a deal with him where he's going to get this wealthy um, sort of like pseudo gangster, I guess, like a guy who's associated with crime to invest in these expensive Amazonian fish and then murders him and then has Saimoto like drive him to the mountains where um, Murata and his wife and Saimoto dispose of the body by cutting it into pieces and burning the bones and there's a lot of like religious like christian um undertones to it and you find out that murata's father was crazy um and used to like sequester himself in this cabin where they're doing this stuff and so basically murata draws saimoto into being his accomplice um in murder um that he extorts money from people and then kills them makes them disappear as they call it in the movie. Um, God, there's so many like little plot points to this. Uh, mm -hmm. There's another gangster that's Murata's other accomplice um, who's having an affair with Murata's wife, um, who you find out is the ex-wife of the guy that used to own the fish store that Murata killed and took over. Um, she kills the gangster like during a bout of like weird voyeuristic sex with his kind of autistic driver um 
god i don't know there's so much in the end basically Sayamoto kills murata um after murata was like humiliating him um forcing him to have sex with his wife uh he murders him with a pen and then um basically becomes him briefly uh and then i guess in a i don't know like a fit of guilt or whatever like um resignation um calls the police and has the police come up to this mountain where they're disposing of murata's corpse um he kills murata's wife uh then i guess i don't think accidentally but he ends up killing um his wife heiko um and then killing himself while his daughter dances over his uh his dead body so a lot more things happen than that um but that's about oh yeah it's two two and a half hours two and a half hours long right Mm -hmm. um i think that the denden guy that plays murata is um one of the best mixes of using physical comedy mm-hmm. to portray like an absolutely horrific character um like there's a sniveling i don't know not sniveling that's not the right word there's this like ingratiating charm to him at first that quickly falls away when like he's put in a position where he wants to get something from someone and he just turns into like it's like a switch and it's really really well done the way that um denden changes murata into you know like a sneering like villain almost but not in a way that's unbelievable or cartoony even though there is a cartoonish element to his performance um and then watching uh shit what's this dude's name mitsuru fukikoshi as uh saimoto mm-hmm. um watching him kind of just accept things like passively like these horrific things because he's too unassuming like he's too reserved to basically stand up for himself um and also i think because he understands that his wife and his daughter's life are in jeopardy like if he refuses to play along so he's kind of doing it in in an act of nobility but it's sort of hard to be sympathetic with him because he does like willingly go along with all these heinous acts um i think the most likable character in this movie is uh Sayamoto's wife um even though she has the indiscretion early where she you know cheats on her husband i think that ultimately she's the person that and she's an unhappy person in her life but she's not generally i don't think like a terrible person um but Sayamoto completely like just a willing accomplice to murder in a lot of ways um mm-hmm. And then Murata and his wife are just cold-blooded murderers, and the daughter's an uncontrollable, like, asshole, um, because she can't get over the fact that her mom died and her dad remarried. Right. Um, Yeah. It's a really 
some really long and unsettling depictions of dismemberment and um like the disposal of the bodies um coupled with the way that Murata and the woman that plays his wife those actors portray those characters I think is like you feel the tension I think of that Sayamoto feels by like at what point are either of these people going to like flip that switch and turn into you know like cold-blooded killers with him um and then when he like out of nowhere like after his all like almost like his ultimate humiliation you know after getting like smacked around and thrown to the ground and then Murata forces Saimoto to have sex with Mrs. Murata and just out of nowhere like Saimoto just like murders him with a pen like it's super brutal and then just that change in his persona like to become basically the man that Murata is and sort of complete that transformation I think is um really well done and really unsettling um I have really mixed feelings about um I always say this dude's name wrong uh Sion Sono um we've recently not recently but in the past like six months talked about him in regards to uh Prisoner of Ghostland um the Nicolas Cage movie um terrible 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 fucking movie and he's done some other movies that I absolutely loathe, but he's also responsible for Suicide Club, which is one of, in my opinion, the best horror movies of the early 2000s. Um, and its sequel, Noriko's Dinner Table, which is also really fantastic. So just weird of like the difference in the quality of his movies, just depending. And um, I think this movie is really well done. Um, I know your point's going to be, it's probably about 20 minutes too long and I don't necessarily disagree with that um but i still really enjoyed this movie um so many times where i just like like it really starts with that scene there's little hints like before just with the way that they act with the way murata acts towards them but it's that scene where murata rapes the wife um mm-hmm. where like your stomach just kind of starts to turn watching this movie and you're like oh my god like what the fuck is happening um and that makes like that scene the the i think i've seen this movie now i think this is the third time i've watched it um where that scene really got to me and i was like oh my god like this is awful um and then it just gets worse from there so and i think it's like i think maybe and this is probably just me personally i don't know how much this affects other people but when things of a sexual nature are used to do the opposite of titillate, like basically to unnerve, um, I don't know. Like I have a lot of trouble watching stuff like that. And there's enough of that in this movie that it really gets to me. And then combined with the whole um, killer aspect. Oh, I forgot to mention this is the third movie on the list. That's also based on um, true crime. Um yeah i don't know i just i i really like this movie this is something that i saw shit i don't even remember where i think this is another one of those ones that was on like ifc um Mm -hmm. when ifc was like an early channel and they used to show like ifc midnight um that just uh, completely caught me off guard like i had no expectations going into this movie and was really impressed by the performances and the direction and 
completely caught off guard by like what was going to happen like so i don't know if i'd ever even talked to you about this movie before were you surprised by like what happened in it or did oh, it like catch you off guard or yeah uh, so we didn't we talked very very briefly about this movie not 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 extensively um i'll be honest like first 15 minutes i was sitting there watching i was like what the fuck is frank having me watch right here like fucking fucking fish like this girl stealing <laughs> like shoplifting like i i was like there's something about the first like 10 minutes at least of that movie where i was like what the? okay come on and you're right it's the scene with the sexual assault that turns into consensual con- assault yeah i mean what um what is that consensual non-consent like you know it was like basically the fetish but like it's like it turns into that situation and that's when i was like because yeah it's like disturbed it's like it's it's like a little like difficult to watch and you're like oh jesus christ like i mean because they those two those two actors go go all out for that scene um and like the fact that i hope everything was on the up and up but it's like the fact that she allows her body to be used in that way like and to have it feel as realistic as it did like it was it was off-putting and and disturbing and because they don't they don't give you any relief from it like there's no cuts it just happens yeah in like one continuous shot and it's like so unrelenting that it's yes very difficult to watch yeah because like even if they were like trying to and and the reason i like figured that out and like knew it is like as as seen as this may sound is like when it's happening it's like i didn't know like in term because i i don't know this stuff about like you know uh japanese cinema but it's like about nudity and stuff like that necessarily but it's like um like like how like how that's treated there versus here and stuff but like like the way that he's groping her and stuff like that and like you know like at times her nipple becomes like exposed but then like it's like it's almost like it's not supposed to it's just it's happenstance just due to the acting and like you know the physicality of that scene like it's 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 really tough like you know to like watch that play out and that's when i was like oh shit like okay i maybe maybe this has merit to it um and yeah at that point it's like what okay so one of the criticisms of this movie is that it's like people claim that it's like it doesn't it doesn't really like necessarily give you an idea of like what it really is whether it's a horror comedy whether it's a black comedy whether it's a straight out serial killer horror movie um and that it's tonally inconsistent with itself at times and like i get that i don't think it makes it any less captivating um to watch particularly like once you get like 15 20 minutes into it um i i was i was pretty much hooked at that point like and i was just like sitting there like watching it um i'm not i wasn't doing anything else like which says something for me but um I was just sitting there watching it and yeah, it's like, it becomes almost like the, the best comp I think I can give to it is like something like 
something like uh like better better call Saul or like Breaking Bad mm. where it's like like even like the scenes where it's like people are just like having these like intense showdowns or encounters like it's very compelling um as you're watching it even without the kind of more disturbing stuff involving killings and stuff like that i found it very compelling to like watch those things of like wondering what how the hell is this going to play out so i thought it was a really good movie overall um it's, it's me it's like probably like out of these movies it's probably the the second one that i enjoyed the most my only my only complaint about it you're right is the runtime of it a little bit and some of that is the beginning but some of it is like i get the point of it by having the um nabo uh what, what what is his name uh the main character like the murata or site site yeah Saimoto. um i get the point i guess of it but to me this was like this was den den's movie like this that guy to me pulled this whole movie together in a lot of ways um with that performance and once he's killed i get it but it's like to spend another like 35 minutes with the Sayamoto character just felt like overkill to me yeah you're really supposed to i to me that the whole point of that is you're really supposed to i don't know that it necessarily succeeds but the intent i think is for you to understand this is how this kind of person is is created basically or this is how like a normal person could get to the point where they could do these kind of heinous acts right um yeah right that makes sense i mean that's that's kind of what i took away from i just thought that it's been a really long time like with that character after the fact um i don't um i don't think this is necessarily like a straight comp but to me it reminds me more of audition in the way that it's kind of laid out in the sense Mm -hmm. that it lulls you into a false sense of being one thing and then like cuts your feet out from under you and then continuously except for audition like cuts your feet out then pulls back then cuts your feet out then pulls back and then finally just like whatever like hits its climax like this movie just continues to escalate and doesn't really have any moments where it starts to pull back at any point um so yeah yeah i'll be honest i didn't find this movie that disturbing like in terms of like but i i guess in terms of grotesqueness like you know or anything like that like like none of the gore bothered me necessarily in this and i don't know what that says about me like um but i don't know if it's a tonal issue as well because i think there is like dark comedy in this where something like snowden bothered me a lot more because there's no comedy whatsoever snowden is to me the most disturbing movie on this list and really if that was the order we were doing them in that would be number one um do you think this is the best movie on the list yeah i just i i love cold fish and i think this is the best movie on the list i think the woman is my favorite movie on the list i've i've tried several times over the past like three years to find some way to work this in but it's just Mm -hmm. never 
it's either i can't remember what it's called because honestly like it's never available anywhere to stream usually Mm -hmm. or like it's not like something that it's another one of those movies in like what i said about the woman where it's just it's one of those mid-2000s movies that kind of nobody really talks about it doesn't get much play it's not like on these best of lists or stuff but like i think it's i don't know i think it's an amazing movie i think that's got fantastic performances and um again i think there's some scenes in this movie that are legitimately almost like sublimely brilliant in how uncomfortable they make you right like the scene where they murder the businessman they fed him you know strychnine or whatever and he's choking on his own saliva and denden's like mocking and playing with you know um saimoto like while the man's dying and like mocking saimoto's like human compassion for this person that's like dying in front of him and like no i told you before that everybody dies and you know like it's gonna happen and like you gotta i don't know it's just it's that that performance like you're right like that guy's performance is absurdly brilliant in it's sort of like and again not like a one-to-one comp but like you look at something like um jim carrey and the cable guy right Mm. like a a guy who's a traditional comedic actor doing like a really dark take on um uh whatever like a, a a character and it's just um it's really well good. right what's what generally is like you know like classified as like as a job is almost always in a sitcom like a comedy role or something like that like right yeah um so where did you watch this movie youtube oh is it free on youtube no oh okay you had to pay for it on youtube yeah google movies doesn't i, I used to be a big believer in google movies because people used to give me google play cards like all the time like um it, it's 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 a long explanation but like our amazon is like kind of like our joint thing like i i pay out of my own money for anything i have to pay for if i can help it like you know with the podcast so i pay that out of like my own money kind of like like my own budget so um so people started because i used google play all the time google play movies like i used to get google play cards for that but google play no longer exists but you can use it all on youtube like the google play stuff so i watch it on youtube and just buy it like or rent it sorry um like so that's my new google play is youtube um so yeah i had to pay for it like um did you have it on dvd or something yeah gotcha so yeah I think it was available for like a dollar ninety nine on Prime as well. Um, I think it was actually like less money on Prime, if I remember correctly. I didn't look that up. I I think when I looked for it one time, it wasn't available anywhere. Um, but I ended up having to um just get the DVD. So yeah, it's um two ninety nine. Yeah, it's one ninety nine on Amazon, two ninety nine on YouTube, and three ninety nine on Apple TV. So, um, well, it's worth watching if you're like spending a couple yeah. bucks. No, I I agree. Yeah, and it's two hours and twenty four minutes with credits, so it's only like two two eighteen or something like that. So I'm probably over. Um, 
Oh man, I love you're always late with, with with credits. Hey. Oh, I forgot to ask you. Just so you know, I'm very accurate with that shit too, usually. Right, 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 um, right. It's just funny that it's like part of your shtick. Um <laughs> I forgot to ask you. It's not you? a stick, it's it's who I am. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's just it's gimmick, right? What are you gonna ask me? I'm sorry. Um did you watch the woman all the way to the end? And watch the animated short at the end of I it. I did. Yep. Okay. Yep. I forgot to mention that part because I like that. Um, yep. Foe where the wild things are. Yeah. No, I I, re- I I looked it up on Wikipedia, and I think Wiki mentioned that there's a there's a se- there's an end credit sequence at some point. Like when I was looking at something on it, like um, it wasn't because I I never look at the plot of something while i'm watching it but like i'll look at like things around it like critical reception and stuff like that and something mentioned that there was an end sequence somewhere that i was looking at and so i did um i skipped to like you know until i got to the animated sequence but, um but yeah yeah i had never seen that before watching it this time yeah i didn't know it existed so it was a cool little um easter yeah. egg yeah no i i yeah i i liked it um it it, it felt it, it felt very um in line with the tone of the how i felt at the end of that movie um with that fucked up family walking away like with the sister as the dog and you know all that kind of stuff um which we didn't talk about but that's really fucking disturbing too like that whole thing um so one of the questions i wanted to ask you because this might not come up for a year or two years even um depending on what we decide is four of these movies i know the one was like kind of in the nostalgia slot and you like kind of wrestled over like how to work that in a little bit but so four of these movies fall between the years of 2008 and 2011 do you think that is you or do you think there is something particular about like the end of the 2000s beginning of the 2010s where people are starting to try to move towards things that are more disturbing in some ways that's interesting i do you think that is a prime period where you're watching stuff like and and that's what accounts for these yeah, picks maybe or? i mean you look at my short list there's plenty of stuff from all different decades sure right? sure i think it's i think that the further we get into the life that we're living now there's definitely more that you learn that's awful in the world every single day yeah because of the predominance of getting stories from things other than just the news right so you've got youtube you've got tiktok you got instagram facebook like all these places where you get sources of information and you hear some terrible things and i think that this is really the beginning of that point in terms of like the crossover between 
what would have been fantastical at one point and then was becoming like i mean especially because three of these movies are actually based on i mean loosely in most cases well not not really like the chasers not as loose and snowtown is pretty close i mean Coldfish is a huge exaggeration over what actually happened but um i don't know i think maybe it is like there's some kind of cosmic or universal ennui that exists in the world and maybe the fact that all all four of those movies kind of skirt the edge of realism and mm-hmm. i don't know but it's one of the reasons why I, I didn't want to put any of the like and we didn't i meant to talk about this at the outset but there's plenty of movies that are graphically disturbing or sure gory or stomach churning and i don't know i think that it's something that like sits in your your psyche beyond when you get up and walk away from it like i think that um power of the dog is a disturbing movie you know what i mean like there's Mm -hmm. a lot of elements of that movie that really are like troublesome yes philosophically and happiness is another one you know that (laughs) maybe could have made this list as disturbing because there's just so many elements of it and that's almost like it's all played as black comedy i think or most of it but still like so many elements of it that are like sit with you for a long time after you walk out of the theater so right or get up from your couch or wherever the fuck you watch anything but um have we talked about happiness on the podcast yet Nah, i can't talk about that movie (laughs) <laughs> okay but you like that movie right oh yeah that movie's amazing god damn it All right it's trying to trap you into something i should tell you i hate that movie so i can watch it on the list and be like oh my god i was so wrong um you know no, that movie's at some point maybe we'll do like the movies that frank doesn't want to watch again ever ever talk about on right. a podcast yeah, to watch right, yeah. 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 gotta keep my mouth shut <laughs> can't have you learning like i think you just mentioned like three of them on this podcast i know i did <laughs> i am back. never watching any christ again i'm telling you it's never happening let's go back and listen to this podcast at some point <clears throat> um yeah i thought it was um a good list i really enjoyed yeah. watching all five of these movies again yeah i thought there was like i I thought there was something interesting about all these movies um, to me. So, yeah, I, I same. I also feel like the top four, because I think that maybe even Return to Oz, I, I think they're movies that people don't talk about enough, like all of them. Mm. Like, I think they all have a lot of merit to them, and I think it's stuff that just kind of... I don't watch a whole lot of, like, media about people reviewing movies. Like, there's a few channels I watch, but for the most part, I kind of just stick to my own opinions but i'm like i don't ever see like any of these movies on the mojo top tens or right whatever the fucking that channel's called the marvelous videos or whatever i don't know like i don't see them so i am i I think that all five of these movies are ones that if you can take a little bit of discomfort are definitely worth like sitting through so yeah no i agree um i have not seen i had heard of snowtown before um that's the and of course return to oz but like i 
but I think I had heard of Snowtown only because I do I have a bunch of true crime stuff on my, you know, um, so I knew that there was a movie based on that case at some point, but none of this other stuff I had ever heard of before. Um, all right, so thank you, Chris, for the suggestion. Um, <laughs> oh, fuck, I forgot. I was that, like, that what, it is wasn't he thinking of, what is he thinking himself? Thinking myself? Some, um, I'm like Barry some, Horowitz, like patting myself on the back. Like, um, right, this is some bold shit. <laughs> thank you, Chris, for another <laughs> great job hosting this podcast. <laughs> Oh, you will never hear that unless uh, it's the most ironic thing in the world that I'm doing. Thank you, listener Chris, for your yes. good suggestions and Chris Heil. Yes, the um, very kind words that you gave us. Um, yes, it was very podcast. much appreciated. So uh, next week we'll be back with uh, our reevaluating the Oscars, uh, the second time we're ever doing it, where we're going to be covering the movies from 1990 to 1995. Um, and then we'll be back uh, the week after that with the top horror movies in 1972. In April, we will be covering, we will be doing four different episodes um, that month. So we will be doing the top five paranoid thrillers, the top five horror remakes that are as good as the original. Um, we will be doing a retrospective on the Karate Kids part one, two, and three. And then we will be doing the top five horror movies in 1973. So that's a five week month for us. Um, so we'll be doing four episodes that month. Um, and then in May, we'll be back with the uh, first fresh five of the year, um, where Frank will give us his top five movies that he's watched um, in the first six or whatever, five months of the year, four months of the year. Um, I guess it goes back to November, right? Yeah, November, so roughly. So um, in the past six months, regardless of genre, year, etc. Um, and then the top five movies that Chris, I think it's going to be loves, uh, well, definitely loves, but Frank is probably hates as opposed to indifferent to. Um, and then we'll end that month with the uh, top five horror movies, nineteen seventy four, which is um, seventy three and seventy four are pretty big lists um, overall in horror. So, um, and spoiler, watch the movie tonight that I actually liked. What's his name? Peter Cushing. In, so, um, mm. something to look forward to is positive Peter Cushing review from Chris. I'll pet myself on the back for that. <clears throat> Good job, Chris. <laughs> right. Good job and good night to all the Chris's. <laughs> yes, all Chris's. All right. Thank you for listening, everybody. We'll be back Chris's. next week.